it's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. Just representation of storm brewing. Amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. This episode is brought to you by OS First, my most trusted sock and compression company. They have socks for every situation, especially right now. It's snowing right now. I just came in from my first pass shoveling the driveway. This is a great example of why different socks for different occasions can be so useful. They have the thin performance socks. They have the crew socks. They have the thick merino wool socks, no matter which one you choose. And there's a lot in between those two ranges. They're safe fit so well. They are exactly what you're looking for, and they're just things that you don't have to worry about. And they're super durable. They're not those kind of socks that are going to get stretched out after three times in your running shoes, and then you're just like pulling them up, and they're, you know, the heel is so high, and yada, yada, yada. They are the best sock company that I've ever partnered with, and I'm so glad that I have a drawer full of their stuff. So go check them out. You can either find them at your local independent running store or their website, osfirst.com. That's os one st.com osfirst.com and use code rambling to save 15% on your first order. So today's episode is with Ingrid Walters. What an amazing woman. Holy cannoli. She is really something else. She was a competitive swimmer, which a lot of people have been on this show. It's amazing how many swimmers we've got over the, over the years. Uh, but she was one, absolutely, uh, growing up in Southern California, then swimming for a little while at UCLA, um, and then ultimately moving into the marathon game a little later in life. So she, you know, after, after her swimming years at UCLA, basically took... I don't know, a decade off, maybe a little more, and then started slowly getting to running. Um, slowly only pertains to how quickly she got into it, not how fast she was running. She quickly, uh, especially compared to most people, and by dint of her, you know, I mean, she she was a really, really good swimmer. So you'd imagine that, you know, kind of having that endurance part of her background there, that she at some point, if she wanted to, would, would a... Uh, would succeed at running, but boy, did she ever. I mean, she took it to a whole different level. She really did. Uh, ended up going all the way down to 248 in the marathon as a master's runner. She did that at age 47. Just kept getting faster and faster, and that's when her life took a sweeping left turn. Um, I didn't say sweeping left turn, an immediate left turn uh, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. So we'll get into that. She's also an actress as well. So we don't dive too much into the actress up, but she's she's been in a lot of stuff. You go to her IMDb, IMDb page, you'll see that she's been in a ton of different shows. And I actually list them at the, at the back end of this episode. Uh, ultimately, she was just so much fun to talk to, so informative. And I really just love talking about all things running, success, performance, talent, all the stuff with her. And she just brought so much wisdom to the table. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode with Ingrid Walters. Ingrid, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> I am so excited to chat with you. Um, you know, so we've had a, a listener to the show was like, hey, how come you haven't had Ingrid Walters on? I'm like, I don't, I don't know who Ingrid Walters is. Tell me more. And the more, the more I learned, I was like, how do I not know who Ingrid Walters is? Your story is incredible. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. This is great. I love talking about running. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. And, and you are one of the, you know, normally we don't talk to people on this show who run as fast as you do. So you were 248, 247 marathoner. You're right. You're knocking on the door of Olympic trials qualifying birth. We'll talk about what happened at that point. But you are, you know, this incredible athlete and you've been a very high level athlete for so long. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I was so excited to have you on the show is that you're, you know, how you've had to approach athletics and different challenges in your life is something that I feel like a lot of people can either relate to or learn from. And in that respect, I feel like there's so many unifying themes here that, um, again, I almost don't know, know where to get started. I will start somewhere, 
But it was just so many things to choose from. I was, I was just really excited to dive in. Just ask me whatever. I am an open book. Let's get into it. So your, um, your experience with endurance sports actually doesn't start with running. For you, running is much more of a recent adventure, right? So more like, you know, 40-ish or so when you really started, um, you know, embracing running as your, your primary means of exercise. So tell us first where, where you started as an athlete. I was a swimmer. I was a competitive swimmer and I, I started competing and sw- I started swimming when I was six and competing when I was around seven, eight years old. And I was also a junior lifeguard and this was in Carlsbad. So I was swimming in that part of California and that's in California for a while. And just, you know, it was just one of those things where my parents, my sister was a swimmer and my brother, we, we were all swimmers until my brother decided he wanted to play football and track. And my sister went on to dance and I stuck with swimming and I swam at UCLA. And uh, I didn't start running until I was late thirties for fun, just to kind of, you know, just to stay in shape. But I, when I started kind of dabbling doing the marathon, my times would get faster. I started out at four hours and then, you know, you kind of do that 10 minute and then another five minutes. And, but it, I wasn't taking it seriously at all until I got into maybe the three tens, fifteens. And that's when I found the Janes. And I just thought, Hey, maybe I can run under three hours. That was the big deal at the time, but I was 41. When I did, when that happened, <laughs> when that happened, so cool, I was eight. Cool. Was, Forty-one was eight. years old, getting faster by the day. I love it. Yeah, that was eight years ago. So I and I and I joined the team, and it just was sort of went from there. And I just kept improving a little bit here and a little bit there. And next thing you know, I had finally. It took me about five years to break three hours, and I thought that was it. Uh, okay, this is fun. This is great. And, but I still had the angst and I still had the speed and I was still getting faster. So I thought, okay, well, let me see where this, let me see where this is going to go. And I just started training differently and a little bit harder and a longer miles. And I wasn't, I think I maybe got injured once, you know, I had a planter thing and that went away. And next thing you know, I was in the two fifties, low two fifties. And Chicago Marathon 2018, I ran 252 and I knew I could run faster. And I remember telling my coach, I said, I know I can run faster. I just know that I, I'd never been so confident in my life about anything. I was like, I know I can run faster. So I ended up doing three and a half months of a uh, hundred mile weeks up until the LA Marathon. And once that happened, it was, that was probably the easiest marathon I've ever run. And I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> that sounds crazy. It, it does. It's like, oh, you know what? It's, it was, it's nice to have your fastest also be your easiest. I mean, that's usually not the confluence events that us runners get to experience. It, what, it, and I didn't think so either. And I just thought, wow, I feel really good. But I had, it was like, it's like having really good insurance. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can pay for. I know. Just... I do not know what you mean. I not... <laughs> that's a random comparison. I love it. All right, keep going. Because it's like you know, you can get the standard insurance that just covers you. And we're from California, so insurance is a huge deal out here. So, and it's very expensive. You can, or you can just get the basic insurance where it covers if, if something happens, or you know, you have a you have an unlicensed driver. It might cover a little bit, but if you buy the by the most expensive insurance, your, your car could, you know, anything could happen and you're covered. And I just, that's just sort of, and I kind of just made that up right then because that's the first thing that came into my mind. Cause that's exactly what it was. And I put all of these, these miles on my body and my legs that if it was a flat course, I think I would have been closer to Olympic trial qualifying time, but LA marathon, if you've ever run it, it's very hilly. You know, they, they, they like to tell you it's stadium to see, and it is, but they forget to tell you about the eight hills that are in between, you know, that are, that are, they, 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 they forgot to mention, you know, LA is very hilly. So, um, uh, and it just, and it felt great. And it was one of the, you know, just, there's those, those moments in your life where you just feel like, wow, this is kind of one of those moments that I feel absolutely amazing. Now, now you you mentioned in another podcast that your dad was in the Marine Corps. Is that correct? He was a captain in the Marine Corps. Yeah. 
Okay, so did you guys move around a lot or were you able to stay in the Southern California area the whole time? Well, we were in Southern California, but we would move and then come back. So we lived in Japan, which is where I actually learned how to swim. And I was getting private coaching out there. So we lived in Japan, we lived in Georgia, we lived in Virginia, but we'd always do it like a year or two years. And then we'd come back to Oceanside or we'd come back to Camp Pendleton. We'd come back to Carlsbad because my dad's born and raised in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody's out here. So we always came back to SoCal. And then um, my dad was working in LA and my mom was a principal in Oceanside. So they needed a middle ground. So we moved to Mission Viejo and that's where I swam on the Natadors. The swim, I don't know if you've heard of the swim team, uh, the Mission Viejo Natadors. I haven't, no. Yeah, they're pretty nationally ranked. I think they're, oh God, they're one of the, they've had one of the, they've had some of the most Olympians, medaled Olympians in the swimming world over 50, over the last 52 years. Um, it's a pretty prestigious program. And I swam there from 12 until 17, 18, when I went off to UCLA. And uh, yeah, and that's, and I swam at UCLA, but I only swam for about, about a year and a half, two years, because I was burnt out. I was done. And that's a great segue. I was about to ask you this, because swimming is can be such an all-encompassing sport. It's just it one is. of the most brutal sports out there. It's yes. two days, even at young ages. Besides, <laughs> yeah, so it's like music, swimming and crew. I think of the two sports where you're like, oh, God help you. Like you're it's involved so in funny. Those. Yes, that's so funny. You said crew because we were very good friends with the crew team at UCLA. Crew team and swim team were pretty close. So that's <laughs> that's funny you said I, that. Those are the two teams I'd imagine would like fall asleep in their soup at dinner time. <laughs> or class or, you know, you're always wet. You know, you're smelling like either the ocean or chlorine. You know, it's just, yeah. And you just get tired of it. I was 15 years in once I got to, once I got to UCLA and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to, I never had a job. I had, you know, you just, you don't have time to do anything else. And my swim coach at UCLA, her husband at the time was a lieutenant for LA County lifeguards. And at our PAC 10 meet, it was, we were PAC 10, not PAC 12 back then. He kind of came around and said, like, Hey, if anybody wants a summer job, you know, they're trying to lifeguard tryouts. And I thought, okay, I did junior guards. And that was probably the second hardest thing I've ever done in my life was a, a lifeguard training. So I did that for 10 years in Santa Monica. All right. So you're, so you're living in, in basically not only like, first of all, Southern California is good in all sports. I mean, it's just the weather's perfect. It's, it's easy to be outside. I mean, it's not just the sports I'm about to mention. It's so many sports. With that said, you grew up in an era, especially where there would have been a a like a lot of people attracted to triathlon, especially in, in the lifeguard set. Were you ever pulled in that direction since you were already in swimming? You know, I had I've always I'd always said, "Oh, I'm going to do the Ironman before I turn 30." I remember in my 20s saying that, and you know, after you swam that much. Yeah, the last thing I would want, I, I thought of was, gosh, I'm going to have to get back into swimming shape again because I wasn't going to do it halfway. And I, I didn't want to just, oh, okay, I know I could run. I just have to learn the bike and swimming would be fine, but I want to be out ahead in the swimming part. And I know what that takes. And I just didn't, I, I don't know that I'm, that I, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have that drive to get back in the pool and do all those yards again. I just didn't. I, I, it takes a long time to get back into swimming shape and you have to stay in swimming shape because you have to, you have to swim as much as you, as much as you run, you have to swim twice as much. So it's it, to be good. You know what I mean? To be, to be, to be good. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't really pull me in. Hey, everybody. Do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. 
So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like. So you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. All right. So one one through line in all of the 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 areas I've, that I've seen and read about and heard about in your life is this just this like full focus and dedication that you have um, been able to apply to so many areas. Was that, do you think, inborn in you or was that potentially maybe something that was nurtured through you? You mentioned your dad was in the Marine Corps. Obviously, there's discipline that comes with that. Where does that element come in? Because it seems like you've been able to really like hone in on things and, and really stick with it and grind towards certain goals or levels of achievement over a sustained period of time. Well, I've always been a nurture person, believer. I, you know, nature and nurture, I've always believed that nurture is the key. You can be born with all these quote unquote gifts, I guess, but if you don't use them, what's the, they just sit there, right? And if you don't use them to the fullest, they, you don't know where it could go. And I think with, there's a lot of people like, oh, you're just a natural athlete. And it's sort of like, no, I'm actually not. I, I actually work my, my butt off. Um, and I have for, since I was, you know, since I was a kid and yeah, my dad, you know, my parents were disciplinarians. My brother played football. He ran track. My sister swam as well. My brother also swam. So we were always doing something because we weren't really allowed to not do any, not do nothing. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. so it just, so I think that's just, it was just something that, you know, we were, we were always doing something. And if we weren't, if I wasn't swimming, I was sleeping or I was going to school or I was going to the mall. <laughs> so, so, so did it. swimming to like um especially when swimming became something that was really time intensive was it like an evolutionary process for you or like it just became natural at that point where like yeah i'm just going to be spending all this time in the pool or was it something that you just always were gravitated towards or what was that process like because when i think about you swimming like 
as so I played I played college basketball before I got into running and I was all into it for sure. But even when I was younger and I had friends who swam, I was like, that's that's a lot. Like even as much time as I'm putting into basketball, that was a lot. And it was something that I couldn't imagine myself doing voluntarily, I guess. So I know <laughs> a lot of people do, and I'd love to hear your experience with it. Well, trust me, there were times, if you talk to my dad, there were many times when he was like, oh my gosh, he would call me on the phone. And I remember I would be nine, 10 years old, basically like, oh, do I have to go to swim practice today? Do I have, I had just been in the morning, you know, so do I have to go today? And he would say, yes. You know, my mom would say, yes, you have to go. And so they didn't really let me get off, get away with not going. And I think when you're surrounded by kids who are, faster than you. And just as fast, you're, everybody's fast. It's like going to the Stanford of swimming where I swam. Everyone's fast. It's just these, some people win gold medals. You know what I mean? And some people get partial scholarships. Everyone went to college and swam. So it, that was the culture. And that was just, that's just how it was. And that's how the team was. There were no parents allowed on the pool deck. There were no, you know, it was very strict. It was very, very strict. And it's so different now. It's so, it's kind of sad because they don't have, it's not the same as it was. It's somehow become this, this really popular sport that people pay money to go see, which is really crazy to me. But um, it's, I think that it's just something that when your friends are doing it and you know, when you turn 16 and your friends turn 16 and you have, you get a car and you know, you guess who's taking, guess who's driving yourself, guess who's driving to swim practice. You are, you know, so instead of your parents waking you up at four 30, you are waking yourself up at four 30 to get to the pool by five, to be in the pool by five. That must've been like the best day of their life. Of course it was, it was the best day of theirs <laughs> and mine. <laughs> Trust me. I got the keys when I turned 16. I started drive. I started learning how to drive at 15, but that was like all swimmers because, you know, everybody's parents were like, yeah, here, here are the car keys. Get yourself to some practice twice a day, you know, in the morning and after school. So you become disciplined. You start really young. It's not like, oh, you go to college and, you know, cause funny people will ask, well, wasn't it hard when you went to UCLA and you had classes in swimming? I was like, no, I've been doing this since elementary school. It's just now my parents aren't there. And you know, it's now I just am now I wake up and the swimming pool is, you know, five feet away, <laughs> you know, the, right, right outside the dorm. So I, I can't not go. So what was it like when swimming, when basically when you left swimming and all of a sudden, obviously you mentioned like Woo-hoo! you had, like you were, you <laughs> know, like, so happy. <laughs> so let's talk about time, right? So obviously you were happy, you left for a reason, but you know, all of a sudden now, like a third of your life is now opened up. So what did you do with that time? Well, I was lifeguarding. That was the other thing. I, I, I started, uh, cause you have to be 18 and I was 17 when I started at UCLA. And so, um, cause I'm an end of November baby. And so I, and lifeguard trials were in March of 1990 that year. So when I, when I, when I tried out, I, I, I got in, I made it and I automatically had this job, this 40 hour a week job in the summer you know, working, in, I was working in Catalina Island. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, I was working there. And then I was working on the beaches of Santa Monica in the summers. And so I just instantly had this job that I knew, I mean, it was, it's like getting a running job, you know, it's, like, it's the best job you could get if you're a swimmer, if you like the ocean. So that filled my time in the summers. And when I was in school, it just was, I slept a lot there was times where I just didn't do any exercise because I didn't want to do anything. And then I kind of started getting into, you know, auditioning and cause back then, you know, it was people would kind of come up to you on campus. Hey, we're doing this commercial come and you know, be an extra or, you know, come and audition. It was like that then. And I was always really, really curious, but I never could do it because of swimming because you can't one, cause the NC2A rules and two, you don't have the time you don't have your, 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 your classes are scheduled around your swim practice. That's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the hard part. I mean, all college athletes know this is that like, you know, it's like, it's like good luck, good luck being a science major. Exactly. Because you're not going to go to any labs, zero <laughs> exactly. labs for you. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and you have swim meets on the weekends and the, you know, it's, and then you're trying to have a social life and that, 
was interesting because I never had a social life in high school. So I really, you know, made up for that when I, when I stopped swimming. So it was a huge transition, but I was really glad that I did it. I mean, I called my parents on the payphone on campus and I said, I quit. And my dad was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. And I was so mad because I'm like, I don't know. Like, that's the question you asked me. I'm like, I'm done. I'm never doing this again. Ever. We were doing 15 500s. And I don't know if you know swimming terms, but 15, 15 times, we did 20 laps of the pool 15 times. And that was just one set. I'm like, what am I doing? And my coach stopped me. She said, are you okay? I said, no. And when she got out, we, I got out, we talked. And she said, if you ever want to come back, if you ever just want to take a break and you want to come back, it's open. And I said, I don't think I will, but thank you. And I never did. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a lot. I mean, good for you that you didn't, that you weren't filled with regret because there are certainly athletes who have, who quit sports and been like, oh, it was a, an emotional decision. And, you know, hopefully they have, they have, they have, there's room there um, for return. Well, I was, I was swimming at the beach. So I had this great job, you know, as a lifeguard. And it was, I mean, you couldn't have gotten a better job as a, you know, 18 years old. I think I was making $20 an hour at 18 in 1990. Not oh bad. my gosh. Yeah. Living on an island in the summertime that the county was paying for. And we worked our butts off because it was, you know, there weren't a lot of female lifeguards also. So, you know, it was um, the three of us that went through rookie school. We all kind of had this gig and it was fantastic. Yeah, that definitely sounds like, and I'm sure you were working hard. But it definitely sounds like you're living the life. <laughs> it's a very hard job. And you could look at Baywatch and, you know, it, you look at that and you see, but, you know, they, the guy who created it is also a lifeguard and he's still lifeguarding. But, um, you know, um, it looks easy, but it's not. It well, is, you've, been, you've been on both sides of that. You've been on Baywatch. I you've have. Been able, you, can, you can speak to both sides. <laughs> I can. I can. And they do, you know, they have, they have real lifeguards on that show. They had a lot of real lifeguards that were extras. They have. You know, they have to get just like you watch hospital shows, they have to get certain things right. They had to get, you know, a lot of things right, you know, aside from kind of the, you know, the storylines were a little bit all over the place been fun. But a lot of the technical stuff is was exactly how it was. Yeah, because you need the details because you have someone who's watching the show who has absolutely who has like not even expertise, but just knowledge of you'd be like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Get out of here. Like yeah. if I watch a basketball movie and they're like, exactly. hey, they're down 25 with two minutes to go and they came back and won. You're like, no, they didn't. That's ridiculous. Exactly. Get out of here. Exactly. Exactly. And I should say, you, you mentioned, you mentioned hospitals. You've, you've been on the Grey's Anatomy show too. So you can just pick things out from your, from your filmography here. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It was fun. It's, it's, and I, when I was running, I actually started running when I was lifeguarding too, because it was a, uh, we had to work, we had to work out we, we were given an hour to work out every day and that was mandatory. So we had to take that hour. And so I would run in between lifeguard towers and it just was something that kept me in shape. I, it was fun. I went to, onto a competition in South Africa with the lifeguards and I competed in a three mile running sand race. And if you've ever run on soft sand for three miles, Oh it gosh, is. that is hard. And you're and and you're racing, and I your getting, poor feet. Yeah, I mean your ankles. And I got fourth place, and I thought, oh my gosh, I, this, this was out of the blue, not even thinking that I was going to, you know, do anything, let alone place that high. And so I just was, I kind of slowly started just running, just to see, just to, just for the fun of it. And then the competition came around. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, so you're in your late thirties and running starts to become a bigger part of your life. When you made that transition, where were you fitness wise? Um, 310. I was I guess, running. I just mean like, like, were you, were you swimming a lot prior to that transition? Like, oh no, you, I wasn't swimming. I wasn't. Oh no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't swim for recreation at all. Okay. I just, I would walk, I would run. I would, I I stopped lifting. I mean, when I tell you I stopped doing, I stopped everything. And I was just running recreationally. And when I say 310, I mean, that was, that was really fast for me. That was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually, I actually think I could probably get faster. You know what I mean? I mean, 310, now we could probably do it a workout. But when it was at that time, I just thought, wow, this is going to, this is kind of, this is a really cool goal. 
And I ran into someone at the park who suggested the Janes to, to me to join a team. So. Right. What was that like to be, to get back into that team environment, you know, an environment that you've been so ingrained in for almost two decades of your life? It was so much fun. Cause I, first, I didn't think I wanted to because I had been a part of a team. And when you're part of a team, all I, all I heard, well, all I would think of was, oh my gosh, am I going to have to do this? And I have to do that. But I realized, no, I don't have to do anything. I'm running because it's fun and I'm running because I want to. And a lot of, and all the women that were running there, they were all really fast. They were moms, you know, they were married, they had jobs running was just, and they also, they all ran in college. A lot of them went to Olympic trials. Like, I mean, you had this range of women who were still running and they were older than me, a lot of them. And I was one of the slowest on the team when I started. So I had nowhere to go, but up <laughs> I had nowhere to go. I had no choice, but to get better running with them. And it was just this eye opener of, of this whole other world. Because when you're in college, you don't think, oh yeah, I think I'm going to keep competing after college. Who thinks that? At least swimmers don't, you know, you either, you know, a lot of people swim masters, but not as many people as runners, not as many swimmers swim masters as runners run after college and they're still running fast. So it was really great to be around that energy and, you know, these women that are, you know, the top in the country and then they're there in their forties and they're killing it, you know, and it's just, it, and it was just really inspiring to me and it just sort of went from there. So did you have anybody that you looked up to as a runner? No, no, I didn't Cause you, know. Cause you're obviously around some, some, as you mentioned, some very strong runners around you all the time. And I meant to ask this too, with the swimming and it was more like a, um, from a, you know, competitive motivation standpoint, you know, like, like you mentioned before, like from a swimming perspective, you're in the pool with these unbelievable athletes, right? You're, you join, you join a running group of unbelievable athletes. And I was wondering what your relationship is to that sort of environment, whether you get competitive, if you're internal, if you're more externally driven, that sort of thing. I get very competitive and, and it was actually, it hurt me when I was in, when I went, um, when we moved to Mission Viejo, cause in San Diego, trust me, there's a lot of fast swimmers there too. It's, it's, but, and I was in the top of my age group when I was, before we moved and I moved when we were, I was 12, 13. So when I moved to Mission Viejo, everybody's fast. Everyone was fast. And so I wasn't the fastest anymore. I wasn't even the second or third. And it was very humbling, <laughs> but I was still good, but it just wasn't, you know, I didn't go to Stanford, you know, um, I could have gone to another school and gotten a full scholarship that, you know, wasn't UCLA, but I wanted to go to UCLA. So, um, but I love being around that. I'll, I'll, I love being around, um, people that are faster than me and people who have gone, you know, to the Olympic trials and it's, and they're still running and they still have a really great attitude. They've had babies you know, and then they've come back and they're running even faster. So when you're around that, especially when at a young age, I and mean, we had Olympians in the pool all the time, our, 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 the head coach of Mission Viejo was the head coach of the Olympic, uh, uh, of the Olympic team, uh, seven Olympics in a row. So this is the world, this is the environment that I'm coming from. So it's, so I, I'm kind of used to it. I expect it really. And so when you're around that, I think that it motivates you to to want to be better. For sure. And this is something that's interesting because in that environment, it's no different than what a lot of runners experience because from a relative ability perspective, it's very similar, right? Like if I'm going to go run with a running club down the street from me, I'm going to be in the mix with those runners. We're all going to be around the same pace, you know, within like a, a certain kind of range. You've experienced that as well, right? Maybe a faster exactly. range, but, exactly. but, but a similar kind of range. And, a lot of people also, and I think you've experienced this as well now with two different sports, and they think about, okay, what am I capable of doing? Exactly. And, and you've gotten to the point where you've probably gotten closer to your ceiling as an athlete than a lot of other people have. Is that something that you've, you, that you've spent time thinking about, or is it much more like, I don't care about that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to work hard and enjoy it. It's that this is the second part. I'm going to work hard and enjoy it because the minute that it's not fun for me, 
I didn't want, I don't want to, I remember when I, uh, I was running the LA marathon one year, it was a couple of years where I just could not figure out the damn marathon. And I still, you know, I'm better at it, but there's always, you always learn. And I could, and I was so mad at myself and I remember crying afterwards and I'm thinking, okay, is this, is this, I'm getting to the point where I'm crying because I ran a 305 or I ran a 303. And I, that was the last time. And the only time I had cried after a race about running. And I was like, if this isn't fun, I'm not doing it. So I shifted my, I just shifted everything. And I, it just, I just made it fun again. And I was like, wait, this is, this is fun. I'm not, I don't have to do this if I don't want to. But I had so much more to prove to myself because I I knew I was getting faster. It wasn't like I was injured or I was getting slower. I I had to figure out my training. You know, I, I had to figure out, I had to get a coach. And that's what I did. So as you were progressing the marathon and you were having that sort of internal reflection, what was like the mission statement behind your running? Was it about enjoyment? Was it about reaching your peak? Was it about being the fastest in your area? What what was the, beyond just, I want to be fast or I want to achieve, what were some, were there, were there any concrete things that you wanted to check off your list? Well, I wanted to be in the top of my age group because I knew that I was older and I was faster. And there was always older people, women my age that were just a little bit faster than me. And I knew that I could be faster than them. It's such a silly thing too. And it has nothing against them. It's just, that's just how I, this is how I live my life. I'm doing that stuff all the time. (laughs) I am constantly in every area of my life. I'm like, wait, this random person in like, in like this baseball GM is younger than me. How dare he achieve <laughs> exactly. more at a younger age than me? I'm not exactly. even related to baseball. So I, I, I do this sort of mental gymnastics all the time. And I wanted to, you know, compete against the 25 year olds too. And I, that's just, I wanted to be at the top of whatever field I could be at the top of whatever that meant, because I don't, I didn't know running and I, I don't know track. I don't know. I, I, I didn't know marathon times. I just knew what I knew about my own body and about my, what I thought I was capable of. And so it was just more of a, it wasn't necessarily the other athletes. It was just more, I, I want to, I want to get better every single time I race. I want to, we all want to PR, but I just want to get better. It was that simple. So once you got down to like breaking three and then you're down under 255 and you're in that area and it's harder to maybe, you know, the, the games don't come as quick. What were the things that you needed to improve on as a runner? And just by comparison, I'll say like, for me, like I've always been better on the track than like tempo workouts, right? So threshold workouts, things like that. For you, what were some of the keys that you and your coach figured out that you really needed to work on in order to get to that next level or even the level past that? I needed to train faster and I needed to train. I needed to add more miles because the way my body works, the way I, what I figured out was I run better and faster when I have a lot of miles in my legs. And like, if I'm training for a half marathon, it's like, I'm training for a marathon. I train like I'm training for a marathon. I might not run a hundred miles a week, but it's about 80, you know, and 70 to 80 because that's what my body likes. I like to have that insurance. I like to know. And then I also trained faster. So there were, I look back on my Garmin, I look back on my times. I'm like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was running that faster than they were in that workout or during that 20 mile, mile run or 28 mile run that we did or, or two 15 milers in one day. We were, we were, it was nuts, but I was in the best shape of my life. I wasn't injured. Um, it was, I saw myself getting better. And I think it's as simple as that. And it's like when you're, when you're younger, you know, you, 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 I think if when you're a kid and you see yourself getting faster and you can see yourself getting better at something, you want to keep doing it and you want to keep getting better at it because you get more confident and you get, you know, I started to, um, uh, I knew I also had to strength train, but I didn't do that. Uh, I'm just doing that now, (laughs) but I didn't do it back then. 
And well, if, I, if you, if you, t- talking about relating to the audience, I think everyone in our audience is, is, is nodding their head, the host included. <laughs> I'm like, no, I need to strength train. Well, it's not exactly, quite there. exactly. And I, I mean, I had to do it for swimming. What makes you know? You look at all these these you know Olympic runners. And you see them, you know, in the gym and they're doing the this and the that. And it's like, well, they're doing it for a reason. And I gain muscle pretty easily. And so, you know, for me, I have to gain you know, more strength in my quads and my legs because I have, a, you know, a hamstring little thing comes up every once in a while. So I just had to, I had to adjust my miles. That's it. And I had to adjust my, my, uh, my fast days. Oh, and the other thing I had to, on my easy days, I had to do easy. I, I, they were supposed to be, and I made myself run between eight minutes and eight thirty pace on my easy days. Now my easy days would be 13, 14 miles, but they'd be easy. And so that made all the difference in the world, all the difference in the world. Right. Instead of just going out there and hammering, because I know, especially with non impact sports, we just are like cycling and for swimming, like you can hammer it much more often than you can for running. Definitely. Definitely. And I, and I know that we, you know, even if I, you know, get into the seven forties or the high seven thirties on my easy days, my, my fast days are, they're crap. They're, you know, they're, it's, they're not terrible, but I know that I could have run faster if I just would have taken it easy when I was supposed to for those three or four, four days of the week. All right. So you go out there and you, you know, all of a sudden you're right on the cusp of an Olympic <laughs> trials birth, right? So you're like 247, 248 in the marathon. There's this huge national push around the 245 time. It's like galvanizing women's endurance running like I've never seen before. I mean, it really was a sight to behold. So let's talk about what happened next for you. Um, and I'm going to just drop a spoiler alert because I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to forget to say this, uh-huh. but today is world cancer day. And it I think is. it's, it I is. I, that's that, I, actually. I, so I, I was actually, I was, I was texting back and forth with a, um, an avid listener, Angela Paul, um, who actually submitted a couple questions because she was recently diagnosed, uh, with breast cancer. Um, so I'm giving up all the spoilers right now, but, um, <laughs> was recently diagnosed with breast cancer and she had a bunch of questions and she was excited to, to submit. But I, um, yeah, I just want to talk through what happened next because I know that things were really rolling for you and all they of a sudden, rolling. boom. And trust me, I wasn't going for Olympic trial. I was not, not even, not even at the LA Marathon. I was just, I'm going to run faster than 252. I would have been happy with 250. That's how, that's what my, I wasn't even thinking about 245 because I was like, whatever. I don't, I don't care about that. I just want to run 250. So when I ran 24803, it's like, hold on a second. You know, on those hills, if this was flat, I could, you know, I could drop three minutes or two and a half minutes. And I took a break after the marathon and came back, started training for grandma's marathon, actually. And um, I just, I found a lump in my underarm, my right underarm. I was in the shower. This is actually, I found this before the marathon, actually. And I didn't, I didn't think anything of it because, you know, we all have swollen lymph nodes. We get them and they go away. And um, mine didn't. (laughs) And so I, uh, when I got back from my break, I went to go get it checked. And it was, I had them in two and a half lymph nodes in my right arm, under my right arm. And it was, yeah, I just went in for a checkup. I'm like, yeah, you know, sure. She's just going to tell me that they're swollen. And, and, but when she called me into the office, that's when I kind of knew something was a little bit weird. And she's like, unfortunately it's cancer. I was like, well, I was in denial and I don't mean denial. Like I was crying or anything. Cause I never did cry. I'm not making it seem like I am trying to be this hero. It just, I was so shocked because I told her, I said, do you realize that I am 47? I just ran 248. I just won the women's open. I mean, like, I was just giving, I was just bragging all about myself, you know, like, no, 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 you have the wrong breasts on the screen. Really? That's, I mean, that, and she said, no, this is, this is what it is. And I was in shock. I was by myself. I just was like, okay, well, am I going to die? And she said, no. And I said, okay, what do I need to do next? So she gave me this list. She's like, okay, we're going to get more biopsies. We're going to get another opinion. 
and then you're going to, you know, schedule your surgery. And then after surgery, you're going to do chemo. And then after chemo, you do radiation. And then after radiation, you go on hormone uh, pills so that it doesn't come back. Okay, let's go. And that's exactly what happened. So I had a double mastectomy, even though it wasn't in my left breast, I just said, take them both. And they removed 18 lymph nodes in my right underarm. And that was in August of 2019. I recovered in four and a half weeks. I started running six weeks. I started running six weeks after surgery. Not a lot. I was just jogging. And then I started chemo a couple of weeks after that, and which I did once every three weeks. And I ran through that. And there's a big myth that, you know, you're in the bathroom throwing up and the movies are terrible at this. You know, they make it seem like, you know, we're still in the eighties with that, you know, when, you know, it's 2021, you know, this happened in 2019. There's a lot of, you can do a lot, you know, when you're going through chemotherapy and I decided I wanted to run and that's what I did. And that's why I'm able to run now. Yeah. I mean, my, my mother-in-law, who actually lives across the street from us, was diagnosed almost exactly a year ago today, mm. um, oddly enough. And so she went through a very similar, um, you know, and I've, and I've heard you talk about this before, so I, this was the first time I heard it, but it was the same, a very similar protocol and, you know, steps that you did. And I was able to witness how she was feeling um, every step of the way, again, because she lives right across the street from us. You know, we see her every single day, and so do my kids, and so on and so forth. And just like you, she's like super high energy, active, positive person. Like mm-hmm. she like sleeps like you know they say like like one percent of people can like get away with like four hours of sleep a night, right. and like fifty like, percent of the population thinks they're in that one percent, but they're really not. She's actually like the one who like, who is in that group, um, and that that is genetic. Like her whole right. her whole. Right. Her whole family is like that. They're all, it's when they come in for a family, a family reunion, it's, it's a lot. Uh-huh. It's a lot. <laughs> right from us. But the reason I mentioned this is that I was able to see, you know, her go from like, you know, super high energy and then the, the steps and the, the, the lethargy that, that did set in. And no, she's, you know, significantly older than you are. So it's not apples to apples. But one thing I did want to talk to you about was just the, the social process for you before we get into the physical of like, all right, who do I say, say this to? How do I bring it up? Cause it can be such as much of a physical experience as you were going through the mental and emotional side from the social perspective can also be so all encompassing. Well, my first feeling, which is really crazy. Cause I haven't really, I've only told a couple of people this, but it was, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I had breast cancer. And, you know, it's, I I was embarrassed because I just, you know, did this great thing running wise, you know, I was, you know, I was working as an actor. I mean, it was just, it, 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 it it just didn't seem right. (laughs) And I felt like I had did something wrong. And I almost didn't want to tell anyone, but I did. I told my parents and then I told my team, I did, I I stayed off social media and I I waited until I was done with everything before I even said anything because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. Uh, I wore a cold cap during chemotherapy to keep my hair because I still, I could have worn a wig, but um, I didn't want to shave my head. And the cold cap, you know, freezes your hair follicles. So you keep about 70% of your hair. So if you didn't know me, you wouldn't have thought, you wouldn't have known I was going through anything. I lost my eyebrows, which I was bummed about, but, but, and my eyelashes, but that was it. And so physically you couldn't tell. And I, and and that's just me. Like I, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm not judging anyone who shaves their head because, Hey, you know what? It's better than watching it fall out. You know what I mean? Um, but I, uh, I was embarrassed because I thought that I was this healthy person. And so did everybody else. Cause people say weird things to you when you tell them that you have breast cancer and it's, a, <laughs> it's weird, you know? Yeah. I want to get into that because I can imagine, I mean, it affects one in eight women, right? So everybody knows somebody who's been affected by it. 
And beyond that, there's probably people in your life, I'm assuming, because I was able to witness this again with someone else, who probably mean well, but may say things that are pretty negative because they, they're looking out for you. They don't want you to push too hard. They don't oh, gosh, want you to yes. do something that's going <laughs> to you know, negatively affect you. Again, under, under the guise of they mean well, right. but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that you want to be around. So how did you negotiate that part? Oh, I had talks. I had, you know, I let people re- react how they wanted to. And then I was, and then I was like, okay, so I'm still going to be running. I'm still going to be auditioning. I told my agents, you know, and they said, you know, whatever you need us to do. I said, I'm still going to audition. I go, and if I, if, if, if I'm tired and if I can't, I'll let you know, but please keep sending me out. Please keep, you know, this, nothing has changed except every third Wednesday. I can't, you know, I can't audition because I'll be, you know, I'm at chemotherapy and that's just, that's just that. And, um, and I said, okay. And Fortunately, I landed on a Wednesday, so I felt like crap on Saturday, and that was the only day I felt like crap. And then I was just, it was just, I let everybody know that this isn't a sad time and I'm not going to die. And, you know, you don't have to call me every three days, especially if we'd only spoke once a month. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to, my mom came out and stayed with me for a little while, you know, while I was at, you know, at post-surgery and my, even my doctor's. I said, well, I'm going to be running. And they're like, are you sure? You know, you just, we always encourage exercise, but I said, no, no, I'm going, I'm going to run. I'm going to try it. And after my first day of chemo, I felt amazing. And I thought, is it the drugs? And I looked it up and I'm like, it sure is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I took advantage of the fact that I'll never be able to run and, and on this drug ever. So, but you know, they give you this drug before the day before the day of the day after so that you don't get um, inflamed. And so as a runner, that means you don't feel any pain. And I remember leaving my first day of chemo and I'm like, I think I'm going to go for a run because I wanted to sweat it all out too. And I ran four miles and I said, okay, this is, I'm going to run four miles every day. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to run five miles every day. And it just, I was, so I was up to 40 to 50 miles a week. By the time I was on my fourth or fifth round, that's when it started to kind of hit me a little bit. So I would maybe run 40 miles a week, but I never stopped running ever. And I ran with people. I ran with my team. Oh, that must have been great. Yeah, to have that camaraderie. It was great. It was I ran with my team. I ran with um, um, people who weren't on, on my team who I would train, you know, I trained marathon with and you know, my ego was pretty bruised because, you know, you know, you, you know, when you're faster than a lot of people and now they're, you imagine know, the kick, people's ego who you were beating. Butt. No, I wasn't beating anyone. <laughs> thing. I was, I was behind and it just, it was so frustrated. That was the worst part of the whole thing. I was, I was so frustrated because I would get winded, you know, I would get winded on runs that I usually would kill it, but I was out there and I was running and that's all that mattered. Yeah, let's talk about that because I know everyone's experience is different. And, you know, I don't want it to be like someone's like, oh, well, I, if she was able to do it, I should be able to do it. Obviously, like co- huge caveats here, right? Like everyone's experiences with this stuff is going to be different. And so but on you and know so what? Forth. But you know what? I think that, and I think this is, this is something I learned. And trust me, I've never been a sick person. So I've never been, I've never been to hospital as much as I have been in the last couple of years. And one of the things I realized is that, as much as they say they promote exercise during that, they don't really. Because mm-hmm. my doctors were like, oh my God, you're our, you're our poster child for, you know, what we, we're going to tell everybody and you're going to, you're running. Da, da, da. And I said, I hope you do because you have, you know, you, there's a lot of women that think they can't do all, all of the, all, any, any of that. You know, you can, you can go walk a few miles. You can go, it, it, it's, even if you feel a little, your stomach's hurting a little bit. They give you anti-nausea pills. I mean, there's ways to stay in front of the pain. And I just feel like I'm not an exception. You know, and I looked, I looked up Gabrielle Grumwald, I think it was right. She passed away right before my surgery. And I looked up her story because her cancer came back four times and she raced while she was during chemotherapy. Right. I mean, that's actually what made me think, well, she can do it. I can do it. 
That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, al- and also, and there's also the the weekly schedule for you, I'm sure, was tucked around the chemo, right? Like you mentioned before, like you ran the day of chemo, ran the day after. That feels different than like the third day after your session. Exactly. Like, because I was running, I would run every day and then you have to get a shot after um, the day after chemo, you have to get a new, it's a, it's a, it's a shot that you have to get. And that always kind of messed me up. And it, I, it affected me on Saturday. So Saturday was my day to turn off my phone, sleep all day, feel gross. And then I didn't run that day. That was the only day I didn't run. And then Sunday would come around, I'd run. And then I was back to normal by Monday, Tuesday. And then two weeks later, I'd have to do the whole thing over again. So, you know, you get into this rhythm and you get into the schedule, but, um, and it was great because on the weekends I had time to, you know, kind of feel how I was going to feel. And I also take care of dogs. And so I, you know, I, 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 I kept my schedule with the dogs. I kept my schedule, you know, going to the park and picking them up and nothing changed except now I have to go through chemotherapy and surgeries and all that stuff. That's it. You mentioned Gabe, and she has been such a bright, shining light for so many people in the running community of all paces, frankly. Um, and you, I've heard you talk also about um, just your your place as an example for other people. And that's something that you've struggled with in various capacities, right? Like whether it was about you know, whether it was earlier in your life and as a black woman who was swimming or lifeguarding. And then even later, like, you know, and as a as a, a sub elite marathoner and for your age group, extremely elite marathoner. Um, but again, there's not many American born black women who break three hours in the marathon. Just, exactly. Just, there's only maybe 10 of us group. now. Yeah. Right. Very and, then, and then here you are battling, um, battling breast cancer and doing it in a way that can be a, a light for other people. What has been your relationship to being an example for others versus just wanting to stay in your lane and do your stuff? Well, I hope that I'm an example to anyone in going through. I, I just recently had a, I spoke with a girl who has just been diagnosed. She's 28. She had just been diagnosed with breast cancer and she's an avid runner and she had the best attitude. It was so fun talking with her and so easy talking with her because she just started chemotherapy this week. And I just, and I said, keep that attitude. You know, I go, keep it you don't have to be as fast as me. I'm like, look, you're out there running even before this happened. So she's like, and I'm going to keep running too. And I said, yes, you will. I go, I did it. You can do it. I said, you know, you just, you do as much as you want to do, but you know, push yourself and go out there. And I told her, stay ahead of the pain, stay ahead of the, so I hope I can be an example of, you don't have to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. And because breast cancer is different. Like it's, it's, a lot of the drugs that they give you, you gain weight and a lot of it's water weight. And, you know, when people think of cancer and chemo, they, you know, you're like 20 pounds lighter and you're throwing up every day. And for whatever reason, breast cancer, the drugs they give you, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite. So I didn't want that to happen to me because I'm vain. And that's just, <laughs> that's, that's just, I'll admit it. So I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to run and I'm going to, you know, you gave a couple of, I gained a couple of pounds, but um, I lost it, but it's, it's, I just hope that people can see that it's not a death sentence and it's not the end of the world. If I hadn't been running and if I hadn't kept my schedule and, 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 and I went out, my birthday became, I, I had a birthday party, you know, I drank wine. I, you know, within reason, you know what I mean? I'm not out partying every night, but I never stopped seeing my friends. I never, you know, I never stopped my life. If I was tired, yes. I'm like, hey, I can't make it. I'm just going to sleep. No one's going to be mad at me. You know what I mean? It's, um, I just, I never stopped it. And I think that's why I'm able to, you know, to, to, to be where I'm at now with running. And I think the hardest part of this whole thing is when, when everything was over, I have to, my, my cancer was estrogen positive and I have to take a pill every day for five years to keep it from coming back. And that has been, I, my body's just now adjusting to it. So if you can imagine taking a pill that gives you shortness of breath and you're a runner, that was not going to fly with me. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. 
<laughs> this isn't going to fly. So I talked to my doctor and she gave me a different type and it's better, but I know the difference and that I have to, it's hard that that's been the hardest part of this whole thing is adjusting to that and not having that same speed yet. Maybe I'll PR when I'm 53, when I stop taking the pill, (laughs) but, um, that's been the most difficult actually. So when did you get the official, like, I know this, I know there's not like a stake in the ground, but because you still have to go back for testing and, and all that stuff and all the scans and so on and so forth. But when was the, when was the moment where they're like, Hey, you know, you're done here. Um, and when, March, March what, 6th, March 6th of last year. So what is your fitness like now? All things considered. I'm, I'm up to 70, 80 miles a week. Um, I'm back to, you know, I can steadily run like 630 pace for a little while. Uh, it's, I'm back really, but there are times there's, you know, I get tired a little bit quicker. You know, I don't like saying things out loud because I don't want it to actually happen. So I, um, I just, I push myself and I think that's the scary part is, is I, when I, when I look at, when I, when I think about how fast I ran, I want to run that fast now, but it's going to take me some time. And, you know, that's kind of tumbling a little bit because I want to get back into the six twenties, you know, but I've got this little thing that, <laughs> that I have to take every day that I have to, you know, regulate when I take it. And if I, I, I take it before, I, you know, before I run, I'm sorry, after I run instead of before, because it's just, I've had to experiment a lot and that's frustrating, but I'm running and I have to tell myself that whatever I race pace, whatever my race pace is when I'm racing, that's what it is. And I can't beat myself up over it because I was doing that a lot. I was getting very, very frustrated. Like, why can't I get back into, you know, and then my hamstring messed up. And so that's when I knew I had to chill. (laughs) I had to just, I had to slow my brain down and just be like, Hey, you know what? You're out there running 70, 80 miles a week. And you're at, I'm at a, I'm at a pretty good, I'm in a pretty good place. Well, I know all things relative and you're looking at where you have been and you want to get back there as a neutral observer unbiased observer it's amazing it's no, thank simply you. amazing <laughs> thank you. it's incredible if i was ever running 80 miles a week at any pace i'd be like oh holy cow what is going on around here so it's it's remarkable i don't want to hold you for too long you've already been so generous with your time um this is a running podcast we stuck with running the vast majority of it i do have to ask you though yes because you are an actress you've mentioned it many times i did you know we did talk about it a little bit you've been on I'm just, I'm just, I'm literally going down your IMDb here. All right. You've been on Shameless, right? Um, you've been on Castle, Parenthood, uh, Scandal, Brothers and Sisters, Grey's Anatomy, CSI, Young and the Restless, um, Baywatch, Baywatch, you know, the two different Baywatches, Amistad. Were you in Newport filming Amistad? No, uh, uh, San Pedro. Okay. All right. Cause I know they did some in Newport. I was in high school at the time. I live in Rhode Island. Okay. So when they redid part of Newport to look like, you know, colonial times, I was, I was, oh, right, I was actually right. down there. I saw it. It was crazy. And then Higher Learning as well, which is like, what a great movie that is. So all things being equal, <laughs> you could pick a role, either past or present, and just put yourself in that role. What would it be? I've always wanted to play. Obviously, I want to play a strong woman, but I, I don't. I also want to, I like stories of of, of people that, overcome adversity and don't, you know, don't feel sorry for themselves. You know what I mean? It's a, I was part of the challenge athlete foundation relay years ago and many years ago when I was actually on Baywatch and I was, uh, uh, I did a leg in the relay and you're talking about athletes who are amputees and some were born that way, or some had to make the decision that, you know, the parents had to amputate their limbs. Some people got an accident, some were medical, but the point is you've got these people running, swimming, biking with, you know, some triple amputee, some double single, you know, what, whatever the case may be. And they're out there 
freaking racing. And that has probably changed my, that, that's completely changed me. And I, and I bring that up a lot because, you know, these aren't people out here, out there feeling sorry for themselves of what had happened, you know, and, um, it would be great to play like a Terry Fox, you know, I don't know if you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, that I yeah, loved that story. I loved that story as a kid. I, I watched that movie a million times when I was young. I don't know why, but it was just something about, you know, overcoming something, overcoming just the, just the craziest adversity. And I don't even mean like race wise or oh, I'm a woman or da, 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 da. I just mean, you know, you come, you just, it can be a physical ailment. It could be mental. It could be whatever, just showing the progress of this is where I, I started and this is where I am. And I didn't feel sorry for myself along the way. So that's kind of, um, that's, sounds that's, like a, sounds like the Ingrid Walters biopic. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's pretty much the exact thing we covered for the first 55 minutes of this podcast. But I, I, I would, I would love to do that and like just and do it right and do it in a, do it in a way that's not, you know, I'm not like, you know, kicking people's butt and da da da. I'm talking, you know, something that's a very, um, you can actually see the transition of someone and it, and it, and it, and it seems realistic and, you know, that people can, can relate to. So, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's what I, that's what I would love to do, but I do have a commercial coming out in the Super Bowl, So I will keep it that at that. And I, once I actually see it, I'll email you and, and tell you. So, Oh my God, this podcast is coming out. Literally. I'm going to be pressing publish on this podcast during the Super Bowl. It'll oh, be coming are? out oh, really? Sunday okay. night. That's so funny. I'll email you in the morning. They've slowly started trickling these commercials out and there's our version of well, the one that I did, but I'm not in that version. So, is it for the Rambling Runner podcast? We have a Super Bowl commercial. Is that what's going on? <laughs> it's uh, it's for Bud Light Seltzer. <laughs> oh, there you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. it. All right, I'll tell the key. My eyes peeled. I'll <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. I'll let you know once I see it. And, you know. Oh my God, Ingrid! Thank you so much for coming on, talking all things running, and sharing your story. It's been just a remarkable thing to hear. Thank you so much. I had fun. Ingrid, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. Also, of course, big shout out to our sponsor, OS First. Go check them out. Best socks around and compression. Uh, I definitely am not, I don't use a ton of compression stuff, but I do have some of theirs and I'm a fan of it. So I usually use it for different weather type things. So if it's not quite shorts weather, but not quite tights weather, I'll throw on the compression calf sleeves. But I definitely know friends who love using compression uh, for their runs. A good friend, Amanda Gent, who's been on this show, is a huge proponent of compression sleeves, and she uses OS First. So that was just kind of a happy coincidence, but she sent me a message after last episode saying, hey, I'm so glad you're working with OS First. I love those guys, and I love that company. So you should love that company too, or at least get them a try. That's for sure. So you can go to osfirst.com and use code rambling to save 15% on your first order today. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for sharing with your friends. That's the best thing you can do for the show. And I really appreciate it when you do it. So have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.